First one is this, how is the brain best rewired to counter the past effects of pornography? How is the brain best rewired to counter the past effects of pornography? Good question. Thank you. It's, um, it's really about how do you manage pornography, somebody who's using porn. So first let me talk about someone who's using porn. I'll just say man, use a he, because, just because there's more he's than she's who use porn. And so if a man is watching porn and he's using it occasionally, it's like he's using it as a release, like having a drink. He's, it's still not compulsive. It's an occasional user. Then if he stays with it, then it starts wiring his brain so that every time he feels whatever the trigger, bored, tired, low self-esteem, some angry, he has to turn to porn. So it's like turning to a drink. This becomes a compulsive habit. Now after a while, the pornography then begins to act to rewire your brain circuits. And now, it's like, let me give you a little example. You, know, you live in a lovely part of the world. You're just going for a walk, you know, just looking into the water. And suddenly you see this really nice scene, but it's kind of got a lot of brush and, you know, weeds and things. So you sort of push your way through, and you get to that lovely scenic spot. And you stand there, you enjoy it. I mean, you don't sort of get your dopamine going up and get a big rush, but it's kind of nice. And then you, the next day it's a little easier to walk that way. The next day it's even easier. After a while, that becomes the path that you follow. It's a little like that with the brain. The wiring so that it starts, you, your sexual desire starts getting sidetracked into second-hand sex or virtual sex. It's not the real thing. Now your brain has been wired and that is what is going to turn you on. Now a real woman with all those saggy bits and wrinkles doesn't turn you on because she doesn't compare with the porn star. Now how do you rewire that? How do you manage it? Couple of things. First thing is there is nothing as little porn or good porn. You have to go cold turkey. It means you have to stop using porn, viewing porn, reading porn. It has to be stopped. The second thing is that you cannot do it on your own and if you are married, your partner, your spouse should not be the policeman. It doesn't work. You need, I say, three, at least three people who will be stand with you. So you can put the accountability software on your computer, you can have them, you know, accountable to them, but somebody must be there when you feel that trigger of wanting to watch porn. That is the critical point, the cue, the trigger that makes you want. At that moment, you need to have somebody you can talk to and something else that you can do. So one thing we talk about is, can you do something else? What do you enjoy doing? Go for a run, have a cup of coffee, walk in the garden and read a book. Just something simple, but replace it by something. 
That is the treatment of porn, and you know, that's how you get out, and it's a lot more complicated, but those are some of the first steps. Now, how do you rewire? When I see a couple, and one of them is into porn, that means that their brain is rewired. Most times, he, again, I'm just using he, he feels no desire for his wife because she's not like a porn star, or he would ask her to do things like a porn star. I mean, maybe ask her to sort of groan like a porn star, or say phrases that are said in the porn, or worse, to do some sexual acts. There are some sexual activities that I'm now seeing couples come and ask me about that when we started in the sexology field 25 years ago, we didn't even know people did. I mean, maybe I was a little naive, but you know, we didn't know. Like for instance, now I get women coming and asking me, is it normal for women to enjoy having a man ejaculate on her face? And I'm like, he learned that from pornography because porn, that's one of the common ways you, things you see in pornography. Anal sex, I continuously keep couples asking me about is anal sex okay? And that's a pornography pickup. And just as a sideline, before somebody is thinking, is it okay, but I'm too embarrassed to ask, when it comes to anal sex, as a sexologist and a doctor, I tell couples when they come to me, of all the sex practices, anal sex is probably the one that I would say is not advisable. Fairly simple reason. The vagina was made by God anatomically for things to go in. The lining, for any of you medical, is stratified squamous. I mean, no. It's just more many layers of cells, and it's made to stand the friction. The anus is not. The anus is made for things to come out, not to go in. So, when you have sex and you push a penis into the anus, what happens is it gets traumatized. The, the rate of cancer, anal cancer, is about 20 times higher in homosexual men compared to heterosexual. Well, that's a sidetrack onto anal sex. So I say that's not advisable. Basically, I tell couples, look, God gave you a whole playground with slippery slides and everything. Why do you want to go behind and play in the loo? I mean, you know, that usually puts them off. But anyway, I mean, that's a medical reason for it also. So when it comes to pornography and couples, it's about then forming new images. So I, we tell couples, don't think intercourse, think sensuality. So we take them through exercises, we call them exercises, where the man and woman learn to appreciate and love each other's bodies so that you slowly, and I'm stressing here, very slowly get the porn images out of their brain. It takes time, but it can be done. And I'm happy to take any extension questions when it comes to the walk around. Okay. Um, second question, different track. Um, what advice would you give a Christian young adult who has roommates, uh, and I'm assuming male, who all have their girlfriends stay over? Roommates? And I'm, and I'm assuming sexually active sexually active. So what I'm saying is, okay, never mind, roommates or friends, friends who are sexually active. Look, if they are Christians, if your roommates or housemates 
are Christians, then I think we are called to hold them accountable. Because the Bible, Hebrews, exhort your brothers, Hebrews 3 or something, you know, exhort them, you know, hold them accountable. You are the body of Christ. If your brother or sister is a Christian and not living a life to the glory of God, whether it be sex or alcohol or pornography, you need to hold them accountable. If they are not Christians and they are living by the world's standards, your best, best example is your lifestyle. Your lifestyle and your words. And when they ask you, how come you're not going to the pub and picking up someone? How come you and your girlfriend are not sexually active? You tell them, me and my girlfriend are having a wonderful time getting to know each other. And we know that once we get married, we're going to have the best sex ever. And it'll be true. Be unashamed about what you stand for and who you are. Okay. Um, I'll come to a, sec- a different, completely different question. Um, a question on the female orgasm statistic. Why is it that only 50% of women are not experiencing orgasm during intercourse? And what advice would you give to couples here tonight to help raise that statistical number for women who are here? Okay. It's because the vagina is not a very sensitive organ. I think God made it that way because it's got to stretch and push out babies. So if it was very sensitive, you know, for those of us who have had babies, it wasn't pleasantest of experiences, a vaginal delivery. Imagine if it was super sensitive like your clitoris. You see, God was great when he created the clitoris, which is a little organ, little button-like thing in the female genital, which is really the analogous structure to the male penis. Every nerve ending that the penis has was pushed into that teeny-weeny button of a clitoris. I always have this vision of God doing the sort of prototype, and he could have just rubbed off the clitoris, but he let it stay because clitoris, the only thing, only part of the body whose sole function is to give pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that God didn't rub it out, but he said, you know, I'll let that stay and let it, let it give the girl some fun. So, why am I sort of talking clitoral talk here? It's because when you have sexual intercourse, especially if you have regular, you know, missionary position, I never understand that, you know, I've got to do a research with missionaries to find out whether they do missionary position. But anyway, I mean, if you are having the kind of regular missionary position sex, then the clitoris doesn't get stimulated much. So therefore, you, that's part of the reason why women don't have orgasms with intercourse, vaginal intercourse. Some women do, as we said, but why not? So... The thing to do, the thing to have orgasms with sexual intercourse if you are really, really keen on it, and please don't try for simultaneous orgasms. Those very, very, very rarely happen. But if you want ease while you're having sexual intercourse, is to also stimulate the clitoris, either the male or the female with her hand while you're having sex. You can try that. Or you can have, try sex in other positions which might sort of stimulate the clitoris more. Many couples, they have oral sex or masturbation, mutual touching, and they have 
orgasms one or the other first and then just work it into your love making you see in, it's more than intercourse making love having sex is so much more than just penis in vagina intercourse so learn to love each other learn to explore you know just do some fun things not just sort of wham bam thank you ma'am when the dive for the pelvis just learn to actually enjoy being together okay that's it for the no that's not all the questions oh. <laughs> let's uh, keep on going we'll keep going um more about rewiring the brain someone's asked how can we rewire the brain to view sex positively after negative or sinful sexual experiences yeah the first thing is that negative or sinful sexual experience like i briefly said it may be something you did before you became a christian or even after you did because they are all sinful beings or it may be that something happened to you like a rape or even sexual abuse as a child whatever has happened it will have an effect on you we know we are forgiven we know we are redeemed but the scars remain and it takes a very long time to work through those and the best way to do it is one if you are unmarried have a lot of good friends of both genders men and women and learn to live a happy outward focused life with a lot of people in other words let your brain go away from being focused only on sex remember what i said sex can become an idol so that's take it away if you are in a married relationship then especially if one person you know comes with a history of some sexual unpleasantness either doing or having done to them then firstly you need to share with your partner and you might have to take especially if you go into both of you going into marriage as virgins you might have to take virgins in the sense of not having had sexual activity during your engagement period as man and woman you might i would we recommend that you take the love making really slow you take it slow and do a lot of sensuality work so that the brain can get rewired from seeing sex as a rape or an abuse to seeing it as pleasure it takes time it takes a lot of gentle caring loving and we i've treated couples i've talked to couples with con- concerns like that it works but it takes time it's just rewiring to a the real rather than the abuse because there's shame and guilt that goes with it and all that has to be very slowly worked through okay we've got one last question here um the person wanted to ask whether there's any link between homosexual orientation and genetic inheritance let's go gender okay firstly let me tell you the question is is there any genetic basis for homosexuality firstly let me tell you there is no gay gene there is no gay gene as such whatever you may have heard however now be, stay with me here there is some evidence not a lot there is some evidence that in some people there can be a predisposition a biological predisposition to same sex attraction so 
what I said, in, there is some evidence that in some people there can be a biological predisposition. That is different from predetermination. Okay? A predisposition. There is just as much evidence, if not more, that there are social factors, poor parenting, abuse, um, lack of a proper role model, um, just general abuse, even if not sexual abuse, a lot of social factors that are attached to homosexual lifestyle. So, there may be a biological predisposition, there's immune theories, birth order, twin studies, none of them definitive. But there is just as much evidence or more that there are social factors. Now, whatever it is, even if there is a predisposition, this is an orientation. Homosexuality or same-sex attraction is an orientation. It is an attraction. It's an affection, an emotion. Behavior, ladies and gentlemen, as we talked earlier, is always a choice. Behavior is always a choice. We must never, never move away from that. So, a homosexual man or woman, gay or lesbian, may feel that they are attracted to the same sex. But the activity, the behavior is a choice. And that is where we as Christians stand and that we do ask our homosexual brothers and sisters to remain celibate. Now that we must remember is a hard call we are making. Because what we are saying is that you, my dear brother or sister, lesbian or gay, will never, if you don't change, and some people do change, but that's a minority, if you don't change, you will never, as a Christian, have a loving sexual relationship. You can have lots of really close friends and intimacy, but we are saying that. Now, some of us would say, well, but if I'm single, I don't have a sexual relationship. True, you are living celibate. However, remember that if you are heterosexual and you are single, you always have the potential of a relationship. We hear of people in the nursing home, 90 years old, and they met the love of their life. It is possible that, you know, so you can live in that, I may meet him or her. Or you could move to Sri Lanka and have an arranged marriage. But, you know, <laughs> that, that hope is always there if you're heterosexual. But if you're homosexual, we are saying your desire cannot be fulfilled sexually. And before we do that, as people of Christ, we need to be very certain that our identity, just as I said before, in the image of God is founded securely in Christ and the cross. When we are founded, when all our desires, not just sexual, when all our desires are focused on the kingdom and not on my own satisfaction, my desire, but the desire for the kingdom is what drives our life, then we can call our brothers and sisters who are homosexuals to stand with us because we too are not driven by the fact that our heterosexual 
sex identity is what identifies. Can you see what I'm saying here? We have to be certain where our identity is. Then we can love our homosexual brothers and sisters and invite them to live celibate lives with us. I know I did a lot of talking here, but I'm fairly passionate about this gender, as you can see. Thank More you. there? Or no, no, going? that's a very helpful answer. Um, I've got one last question. I'm going to finish here, and it's a, it's a good question to finish on. It's a positive one, uh, if I can put it in that street. Not that the others have been negative, but um, um, the question is, what have you observed are the key attributes of marriages where God's plan for sex is fulfilled? What are the, the key, key attributes. attributes of marriages where God's plan for sex is fulfilled? I feel like going back to the first slide, really. I mean, it's really Genesis stuff. I mean, where God's plan for sex is good sex, but not necessarily lots of sex, not necessarily penis in vagina so many times a week. Like, you know, people ask me, What's the normal frequency? I said, there is none. But there is a frequency for intimacy. So intimacy is important. Intercourse, you know, there are couples where they get married and they meet with an accident on the honeymoon and one person is disabled. That's where the dis whatever the ability comes from. That, you know, you still have a very loving an intimate life. So the one flesh means intimacy. Exclusivity and intimacy is a sign of a marriage that is Christ-like. Christ and the church, exclusive and intimate. The love of married couples is other-focused and sacrificial. Trust me, ask my husband, 39 years married to a sexologist, if he isn't sacrificial. Look at him sitting there soon after work. Came after work, turned around and drove me to Manly. I mean, is that a sacrifice or what? And listen to the talk that he has listened to like 35 times or 50 times before. And so, you know, love, married love is other-focused and sacrificial. Remind you of something? Christ on the cross. It is, that is what married love, Christian love is. It is the love that lets us stand before the cross and say, as you have loved the church, I will love my spouse. Patricia, it's been a delight to have you come. Um, I don't think I can look at a Volvo handbrake the same way again after tonight. <laughs> You've got an incredible sense of humour, that's all I'll say. I guess you've got to have that in your line of work. Um, it's been a delight to have you come. Can I get everyone to thank Patricia for her wonderful wisdom tonight? I'm going to finish by praying for Patricia. She has a, a very significant ministry now, um, ministering amongst the churches. She's also got a writing ministry and she's got a number of other books that are coming out on the issues of singleness as well as uh, marriage Couple by the sex, book yeah. for couples. Uh, the teenage one is up the back and Jess will be selling that uh, and it's been a blessing to have you come and introduce the series on thank sex you. and marriage for us. So let me pray for you and Please. pray for us all. Father, we do thank you for Dr. Patricia Wirakun and her great ministry she has amongst the churches 
to help us uh, reaffirm what healthy sexuality is, uh, the role of sex in marriage, and Father, help us to have learnt and benefited from tonight. And Father, we do pray that you would help us to build relationships and lives that are healthy in all ways. Uh, And I pray particularly for those who are married, uh, that you would give real intimacy there and a healthy sexuality. For those who are single, that they would find fulfilment and joy in you uh, and they would be able to honour you with a celibate life. And Father, we pray that all of us together would be a living witness to the living Christ in how we live our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for, for coming.